Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions, from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science. We'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. This is Dr. Goldcamp. So we are in quarantine, and uh, that's a mandatory 10 days after you've been diagnosed with COVID. So I wanted to go back to perhaps correct something I said, or maybe I said it correctly the first time, here's hoping. And that is that the testing that's out there for COVID, there's basically two ways. One is about testing for uh, serum antibodies. So uh, that's a serum test, so you need a blood draw for that. And then you have your, what they call a rapid test. Most of your rapid tests are what they call PCR. They both have their advantages. So the serum test or serum antibody slash antigen test has a high, a fairly high percentage of false positives, but it doesn't have false negatives. So if you had that test and you were negative, you really are negative. So with the PCR, they have a history of being higher false negatives. But if you're positive, more than likely you very are you are positive. And that's just the way testing goes. There is no perfect test for anything in the world, whether it's smallpox, polio, any diagnosis. I mean they they, they put it in the context of everything else, other lab work and so on and so forth. So and they obviously try to do the best test that's available. So what we had was the PCR, which is the one they put it on a swab and up your nose for a quickly painful shot in the head, so to say. So that's interesting. So we had the PCR. We're positive. More than likely, we really are positive. Uh, We went through our story uh, of going through American Airlines. Yeah, we took the risk and we got caught for taking our risks. And the woman who was sitting next to us was just coughing and hacking and dripping all over everybody. She could have given us COVID. I think that she did. But she also could have had an an entirely different flu. You know, there's different flu strains going around, as there are always, but predominantly as we head into the flu season, which is actually starting in a couple of months. So it's a bit premature for the flu season that um, she could have simply had another flu. And so we caught that flu. And then we went to our group meeting. Somebody else in the meeting could have been the strain, could have been the, the COVID carrier. Who knows? We can't go back. But we now know that everybody but two people out of, I think it was a meeting of 12, tested positive for COVID. 
and I'll go with, I'm assuming they all did the PCR rapid test, so they are all positive. And I haven't been in touch with all of them for about a week, so I don't know what their symptomology is, and I hope they're all doing okay. We'll be meeting through Zoom sessions in the upcoming weeks and so on. I've been lucky that I've been devoid of lower respiratory issues, which are lung, you know, cardiorespiratory issues. My issues have strictly been the Adam's apple above, (laughs) the head, you know, just the spaciness and the congestion of the sinuses and electrical shocks throughout my head throughout the day, and then periods of, you know, fatigue where you go, gee, I'm doing great. The next moment you go, I think I got to go lie down. So that's where you are. So what I want to go over, though, is now you know there's two kinds of tests and why who has the false positive, who has the false negatives. Pretty much in the perfect world, you do both tests, but the CRP is the rapid test. That's the one that will confirm for a higher percentage of positives and a very low percentage of false positives and a higher percentage of false negatives. Therefore, if you got a negative by PCR, you may want to go on and get a serum test to rule in or rule out whether you have it or not. That's just how that goes. Okay, the other thing I wanted to talk about as we get into, you know, so now we have this mandatory 10 days. It's always a mystery of when does this 10 day start? Simply at the time of the phone call? Well, didn't we, you know, when did we contact? When did we acquire COVID? Who knows? They're just doing what they can do. And they say, all right, start now. Here's your 10 days. So why do they come to 10 days, not 14, not 21, not something longer or shorter? Well, that comes down to a viral versus a bacterial infection. It's a little medical, and I hope you'll enjoy this. When you have a bacterial infection, you're going to find your white blood cells, which is an easy serum test to get. It's under your CBC, CBC with diff differential. And so you're going to find with a bacterial infection, your white blood cells are going to really climb quickly. You're going to get a fever that comes with onset, and it's going to rapidly climb over 101 to 2, and depending on age, for little kids, they get a rapid rise in fever and a rapid fall. For adults, they have a slower climb, but it's not a slow climb. It's still a rapid climb for a fever, maybe as up as the highest 103, 4, 5. 5 is a bit on the high side for an adult to have, but they'll have a higher fever, call it a high fever, and it will stay for a while and then eventually breaks. That's a bacterial infection, and you can see that so the, the fever is something you obviously measure by temperature, right? Or you can see how that person's reacting. And if it goes too high, they'll get delirious when it's a high fever. And also corresponds with a high white blood cell count. Okay, then. Now you got it locked down. It's a bacterial. So a viral is a slower onset. And here's where the 10 days come in. It's a slower onset because your body can't dismiss this virus right away. So it actually does invade your body, and as it's invading your body, your immune system gets to identify very specifically what this virus is. So it takes, if you will, a week for you to create antibodies that are specific to this particular virus. So the joke was in medical school and any place else that discussed this was that, oh yeah, If you take medications, you'll get over your virus in 7 to 10 days. And if you don't take your medications, it will be a week to a week and a half. So the joke is you're giving the same answer to two slightly different contexts. And what you're saying is a week to a week and a half is really 7 to 10 days, right? Is they're saying there really isn't much you can do 
for a new virus, your body has to learn to fight it, which means to identify it, which means to then begin the production of antibodies, which means then to begin the war and to fight the war against the virus. So all that takes time. A bacterial infection is, it, it could take potentially that long, but usually that's not how it goes. It's, you'll have the high fever and then it's a fall. It's a, it's a shorter window of time to have a bacterial infection. Potentially bacterial infections are much more dangerous because if you can't control that high fever, it starts to uh, do a lot of damage, it, it, certainly brain damage, but uh, organ damage as well. So it's potentially much more dangerous because it can happen very quickly and you may not be in an area that you can address it. So about bacterial infections, fevers, colds and flus, versus viral infections, is that you've heard the reference of feed a fever and starve a cold. So what does that mean? Feed a fever and starve a cold. So what I just told you about fevers escalating really high, one way you can say it's common sense that anybody who has a high fever is really not going to have any appetite. And let me just take a step out of our species-centric conversation here and say, have you noticed for any of you who have pets, especially if they're mammals, which is probably who your pets have been, I know there's birds and turtles and everything else, but let's say it's cats and dogs for the most part, and then even other mammals of horses and what other pets you might have that are mammals, you'll find when they get sick, they stop eating. You know, they want to sleep or they go away, don't touch me. I uh, know cats certainly do that. And the, our pets don't get sick very often, so it's pretty much a rare event when that happens. So what are they doing? Usually that means primarily it's a bacterial infection, and they are fasting. It's an intellectual thing that they're thinking about, but they are fasting. And what does fasting do? Well, now in the context of ketogenesis and the ketogenic diet, you know that it creates ketones and it shuts down the 95% of glucose availability for cells throughout the body, except those that need them. Those who need them are some parts of that require glucose as a primary fuel are your red blood cells and parts of your brain. We'll leave it at that. So a bacterial infection automatically shifts you into, by not eating, by fasting, by feeling really lousy, by having a really high fever, into a fasting mode in which you do not feel like eating anything. And so you're just going to sleep and hopefully somebody's going to show up and give you some water and be nice to you and take care of you while you're feeling so miserable. Whereas a viral infection has started more slowly with aches and pains and body aches and maybe fevers and chills. It varies in terms of, and usually it's about a respiratory attack. Usually it's about upper respiratory that transcends into a lower respiratory and the lung problems and the cough, and and that may go into what they call a super infection, which I've mentioned before, and that means you get a bacterial infection on top of your viral infection, and the reason that you got the bacterial infection, which is that now you could be having a spiking fever on top of your low-grade fever, which you get from the viral infection, uh, that comes from your excessive mucus production. And so that means your sinuses could be a place for bacterial infections to get started. Your lungs could be a place for your bacterial infections to get started. And it gets to be a dicey place. You know, we start off with black and white orientation, such as, well, you never use an antibiotic for a viral infection because antibiotics are bacterial. 
That's correct. But as a viral infection doesn't get pushed out by the body and gets to be highly mucus producing, that increases the chance of bacterial and bacteria being able to seed itself in the mucus and, and begin its own infection. So, but in the black and white world of a virus versus a bacterial infection, one, you go away, you sleep, you don't eat, you go into ketosis and all that's a good thing because your immune system is not going to need sugar and your bacteria, which needs sugar, you're shutting it off intuitively. Whereas a viral infection is just the opposite. The viral infection is, yeah, they need sugar. They need sugar. They need glucose. Have a meal. If you're, you know, if, if, so when somebody has, how would you know this? You've taken their temperature and let's say they haven't gone to the doctor. So it's a few basic things. It's not that hard to figure out. But yes, they should be eating because now you're supporting their immune system in a whole different way. In fact, it's not just me making it up. And you've heard the expression is feed a fever and starve a cold. And what they mean is, and even that is a bit of a misnomer. I just told you a bacterial infection had a higher fever. Well, guess what? The fever they're referring to in this folksy way of talking about bacterial versus virus, what they meant was if you had a bacterial infection, that's more of a cold. And I got to sneeze in a second. And a viral infection needs glucose to be able to fight its infection. So feeding a fever and starving a cold the starving of the cold is a bacterial infection, so it's a slight misnomer. But however, actually Yale did uh, a study on this and actually showed that in mice, of course, they didn't do, didn't do humans, that if you actually, they, they gave mice, or they have a whole video, and I, I'll post this in the links below, is that with uh, mice that had viruses, that they gave them glucose, you know, force-fed them glucose, and they did fine with bacterial infections that they gave the mice, obviously, and they also gave them glucose. They didn't do well, and they died. And they have all the studies and the statistics and so on and so forth. So there's a lot to this old wives' tale, and that's basically what the old wives' tale is about. So we, in the era of COVID, COVID is a virus, as we all know now. And so for the most part, Eating versus not eating is a good thing. So if you can have a meal, have something to eat, don't starve yourself, that's going to work to your benefit to let you get over this sooner than later. So it's actually a big concept and you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And let me see if I can give you a few others. It's like, what are some of the usual viral symptoms? You have fever, chills, muscle aches, cough, congestion, runny nose, headaches, and fatigue. Then you have myalgia, which is muscle pain. Uh, you may have phlegm, depending how far it goes. We've talked about that. And congestion, runny nose, sneezing. So the woman next to us, she was all of these. I don't know about the fever and chills, but she was everything else. And when we tend to think about bacterial infections. You go, what is a bacterial infection? Well, bacterial infections are usually, you think about, I'll throw out the big names, nothing that's going to show up in your neighborhood tomorrow. But you had the bubonic plague, you had the Black Death, Smallpox, all those are bacterial. Uh, HIV is viral. When you have, uh, obviously, the first pandemic, flu was viral. And the first pandemic from 1918 to 1920 killed 20 to 40 million people globally. So we're nowhere near that now. And that's where some of the pushback is in terms of, well, this isn't anything like it was before. This really isn't a pandemic. 
that's not my argument to defend or to uh, come down on. I think there's really tough issues to to deal with socially, and especially in a country like the United States, it really doesn't follow directions, and it's really so individualistically concerned with their individual rights, i.e. masks, i.e. staying you know, in quarantine. You can bet all these people that are just like us, that were given the call by the state and say, okay, you're in quarantine, and here are the 10 days, and you can come out on, I think ours is October 16th or something. A lot of people just blow it off. And they do do a pretty poor job of what they call contact tracing. You know, they really don't take down much information. But what they're looking for when they talk to you is, did you just attend a big event that they could circle in on, like the thing that had up, happened up to the Biogen meeting up in Boston that basically lit Boston up back in March? But it's funny when you say, yeah, I just was on a flight, and you give them all that information, they are not concerned about the airlines being super spreaders. Uh, perhaps one's going after a corporate, a category, which already is struggling versus the other is looking for, you know, like a wedding or a, a, a party or something that they can contact a finite number of people. That's my guess on that. Okay, so you know about the feeder fever, starve a cold, what that really means. It is very interesting. It does have to do with reality. So what does that mean for us right now in these 10 days? What do we plan to do? Well, this isn't like a day off. Everybody has their work to do and, and our various means and so on. Clearly, sleep is really important to us. Staying hydrated. These are just real basic things. You know, you really do need to stay hydrated. You do consume and use metabolically a lot more water, fluids, when you're sick than when you're not sick. In part, it's because if you are running a fever, you're going to sweat it out of your pores. But there's other reasons as well. So we obviously plan to sort of say, hey, we're tired. We're just going to rest go take a nap, sleep in, take care of it, and best to take care of it and then move on when you're not instead of stretching it out for a lot longer. The thing about COVID is that it does tend to linger for a much longer period of time that's widely known. So it really is up to you to take this seriously once you get your diagnosis to take care of yourself or not. You can stretch it out for a month or two and feel always kind of lousy. And I know not everybody has the choice of, gee, I'm just going to go home and do nothing because I've been told I'm sick, like we're a little kid in school. I understand not everybody has that choice. But to the degree that you have some self-control over your environment and you can arrange that for yourself, it is important for you to conserve your energy, You know, let your immune system take care of itself, hopefully have somebody take care of you while you're healing. But that's how you get over it the fastest. So... Some of the things that we did were, I do believe that it is warranted to have various supplements, obviously the protocol that I've talked about before. All those things, I believe, are necessary. Does that mean you're going to die without it? No. That might mean your symptomology is probably going to be far worse and you're going to feel like shit for a longer period of time. So I like to sort of paint a foundation of things that most people need most of the time. Everybody looks for the hack. What's the one thing they can take that is going to change their life? The search for that in every category of health is all the time and always. What's the one thing I can take? Well, there really isn't a one thing. It's fluids, rest. And so our diet has been primarily at this point, call it carnivore. That is whole food sources of protein, as we've talked about before. And Judy did make some non-dairy ice cream. 
for us. And it's really tough for us, even with that. It's a great idea until you have it. And it tastes great because we have so little in the way of um, fiber that when it comes to adding a little sweetener to this non-dairy ice cream, it usually comes down to stevia or xylitol. And the more we have it, which is not very much at all, each time we lower the amounts more and more and more and more and more because it can either go right through you. So now we're down to probably a quarter of what we used or even less. And that's fine. It's a, a subtle sweetness, nothing in your face. But it's nice to have that. You know, it's nice to have something to eat that's a bit of a break. I have had a slight craving for dairy that I've had a little cheese on, and I hardly have any dairy. It's not black or white with me, but basically I don't do dairy, and then I'll have it every so often. And I think that's a fair way to go about it. We've talked about dairy ad ad nauseum on this podcast a few, more than a few episodes, and I think it is a big deal. If dairy bothers you, then just drop it for a couple months and pick it up, and you'll see how much of it is part of your life. So anyway, the other things that I believe that are really helpful to do are, if you can stand up and you don't feel so weak, is take a hot shower every so often in your face, and but especially, and this comes from Chinese medicine, uh, in Chinese medicine, they believe that you get a viral infection at the, more or less, the at the back of your neck. I'm not going to go into it. It's really interesting, but that's why you wear scarves. It's not so much for your throat, but it's really to protect your whole area there around your throat, mostly the back of your neck. And what's interesting about that is when you first get a viral infection is you will feel body aches that disseminate from the middle of your shoulder blades, down your spine, up into your head, and it is the center of illness. They call it wind heat and wind cold, and depending on what those are, that's the best they could come with being close to what they call a a viral infection. They didn't know about that a couple thousand years ago, but they knew how to address it. And then they would, of course, take various herbal formulas. So uh, we should do that a lot in our practice. You would have to be very careful of diagnosing where that person was in the stage of their viral infection and then treat it with a formula that treated that stage. Whereas in Western medicine is here, you go take that pill and it's for all stages and for everywhere. And that's why it doesn't work that well. It's too broad an audience and non-specific. And most of them don't work anyway. Trying to think of just the top of the list of things that I would do. Showers, uh, steam. If you have a steam room or a steamy shower, that's really helpful to get your lungs, you know, and have that kind of moisture so you're not sniffing all the time. Having hot water onto your forehead will release your sinuses. And so why you would be interested in doing that is not curing your sinuses, but it would release your sinuses. So at least the phlegm would break up, go down through your throat and get rid of it that way. It would keep it from accumulating and it keep the possibility of you getting a super infection or getting one more layer of problems from happening. So that's why having a shower, having a hot bath, break up that phlegminess, both lung and in sinus wise, you could add some essential oils. Certainly eucalyptus would clear you out in a second. I would probably pretty much leave it at that. You can do a lot of other relaxing essential oils, but the eucalyptus and or this peppermint or the spearmint as an essential oil that you put in your bath is very helpful in that. I'd be a little leery of using lavender because lavender is, uh, there's two different types of lavender and um, you have uh, should you want to know, you have spike lavender and augustifolia. One is a sedative and the other is a stimulant. And I just leave it out. 
of your lineup should you be going in that direction. The other thing, Epsom salts are a great panacea. We put in a whole carton, take a bath, you're going to feel good. Go take a a nap after that or do it before you're going to go to bed at night. It's important to have a deep sleep. It's important to clean out your sinuses and your throats if that's what's bothering you. And just let your let it run its course, and you're going to have to let it run its course. Okay, now you have a little understanding of what are some things basically to do. I'll go into a longer, more supplement-by-supplement supplement next time because that gets to be a little on the tedious side. It's informative. People are interested. But I want to sort of spend some time in why some of these things would be more important than others. But now, if you're getting it like I'm getting it, you know what to do to take care of yourself and then go back to bed. But it's a viral infection. It's not a bacterial infection. So therefore, don't think fasting is going to help you right now. I know fasting helps everything, and you've heard people with cancer and so on and so forth. That's a whole different category. You don't have cancer, you have a viral infection. Go get some, you know, I have I have eggs, or eat what you want to eat right now. I'm being non-discriminatory. You're feeding your immune system right now, and that's what you're doing. Okay, then. So till next time, this has been a short one for obvious reasons. Okay, till next time. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that I've gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they're overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email, and uh, I will get back to you. Stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.